Hey everybody, I am here with Dixon Wu, who is one of the founders of the Hong Kong Retro Gaming Festival, as well as uh, part of a bunch of other cool things. So, hello Dixon, thank you for joining us. Hi Robert, pleasure. So you are located in Hong Kong, correct? Yes, yes, I am in Hong Kong. So people who listen to these podcasts know that we do them remotely, and there's always a delay, but the farther away you are, the more of a delay there's going to be. So I'm sure we're going to end up talking over each other at some point or pause long or whatever. So my uh, my, okay. my preemptive apologies to anybody listening for that, but I still was just really excited to talk to you because I had heard you start to talk on the Scene World podcast, and I only yes. got about five minutes into it, and I went, ah. Oh, I want to talk to Dixon myself. So I kind of hit stop. <laughs> you know, of course, I'll link to that one as well. I want to help promote them. But uh, it just your story sounded really interesting. And I wanted to share it with my audience as well. So uh, would you mind Thank giving you. us your, you know, the your origin story and, and how, kind of how you started out in this? Sure. Uh, well, I actually uh, went to LA for, for um, college. So I actually majored in game design. So uh, as many of us, uh, as as many of the audience and yourself, you know, I love video games, and uh, I just, you know, I, I don't just play them. I, you know, I like everything around it. You know, so I, I at a very old, uh, young age, I started, you know, taking apart my Famicom and 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 started, you know, collecting artwork that is related to to games, ads, and posters and whatnot. Um, and yeah, and and so. Uh, in 2015, something just just struck me, you know. So, you know, I, I was in Hong Kong at the time, and I thought, you know, why why is there a retro game expo everywhere I go, and and somehow there's none in Hong Kong, right? And that's kind of how you know this 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 idea started growing, and I thought, you know, so why why is it that no one has actually started something in Hong Kong? So what was the reason? So I started to you know, just just casually go on social media and start asking people: Has there any, ha, has there been any retro game expo or something, you know, like a retro game expo? And of course, there's there's a lot of people supporting the idea, but also, you know, a, a lot of people basically just saying, yeah, you know, it's 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 you know, it's Hong Kong. It needs to, you know, it needs to make money, and and you know, like people aren't supporting the idea because sponsors don't like it, and you know, like like all these all these ideas uh, floating around about not being, you know, a, a successful like commercially kind of event. So I thought, you know, I, I never really thought about you know having a you know a, a commercially successful event. I just wanted to to meet people. You know, I just wanted to you know things things about you know the thing about retro games is that you always need to know more people because you never know everything. You know, so you need people to. To, to share knowledge with and and to yourself and then you know you you, you want people to to trade things with you you want you know you know games that you have at home that you want to give away to people that would treasure them and you know so that, so that's kind of how we um it was basically just me and my wife actually so we we started thinking maybe we should try you know we maybe we should just try having one and so that was in 2015 and uh, at the time um, I, I was actually one of the very lucky ones that was able to contact, get in touch with uh, Terry and Dan Diebold, um about, you know, the, the Nintendo PlayStation prototype. Um, 
And uh, Dan was was you know he the story was Dan fell asleep when after he put the video on Reddit and and that kind of blew up overnight. And uh, I was well, he said I was the only one that sent him an email saying, please don't sell the prototype instead of giving him an offer. And that's kind of how you know it, it caught his attention. That's well, that's that's what Dan said, you know. And and I, I believe it, you know, because because I I really you know I think. I remember it was in caps. Like I just put on the uh, the email subject saying like, please don't sell the prototype. <laughs> you know, instead of you know hundreds of emails saying, can I give you five hundred US dollars for it? Can I can I can I trade you with something? You know, and so yeah, that caught his attention, and uh, uh, we scheduled a, a call on on Skype, and and I thought you know you know just first of all you know first of all don't sell it. Second of all, have you guys ever been to Hong Kong before? Like, have you, you know, been to Asia? Do you, would you, you know, would you, you know, think about coming to, to Hong Kong? You know, and if I, you know, found a sponsor and paid for, for everything, you know, your, your tickets and uh, hotels, and I'll, I'll personally bring you to, to all these cool places. And, and they're like, yeah, we'll think about it. And that's kind of how, uh, we kickstarted our thir- our first uh, retro HK gaming expo, so we were very lucky to have the the Nintendo PlayStation prototype uh, for the first time ever, you know, to to be exhibited um, in our show, and I guess that's kind of how we we got a bit of in, in, you know international coverage also, and we were actually very surprised to have you know friends. In uh, working in the media, coming from anywhere from Finland to to you know mainland China, like they they just wanted to come over to Hong Kong and see the the, the prototype for themselves. Um, and so yeah, that's kind of how we started our first event. And then from there on, we met a lot of uh, really good, uh, really cool people uh, from the expo. And so the second year, we actually moved our our show to one of the local universities and that kind of, yeah, it kind of grew from there. And then, uh, we just finished our retro.hk gaming expo, uh, for 2022. We just finished it in, uh, another local university. So that marks our seventh event. Um, so other than 2020, uh, because of the pandemic, we couldn't have, uh, an event that year, but other, other than that, we actually hosted one big event every year, so it's yeah, it's been yeah, it's been a a, a great journey, you know, meeting all all our core members, meeting all our you know the, all the audience that came over and and told me how it was so incredible to to bring their children to our our you know expo and just show them what they were playing and you know you know during their childhood and yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, I'm I'm such a big fan of expos when they're done right. I mean, it's going to be the mix of vendors and um, mm-hmm. things that people could just kind of go and experience. And a lot of them have done yeah. a really good job getting it right. Some of them try their best, but you know, it's it's always an evolution, right? You're, no one's ever going to get it right in the first try, and whatever you do yeah. today might not be the best for next year. But it's a uh, it's always been a positive experience for running into other yeah, people, and I, I mean, you know, for for me, I think we we still have a lot of room to improve and um you know it's not just me you know being 
Asian and being humble. It's, it's just that in Hong Kong, there's just, um, you know, the, the real estate here is, is crazy, right? So renting a place and finding a venue has always been the biggest challenge that, that we have. So, you know, when, when we compare ourselves to, you know, all these great events that we've been, you know, in, in the States, for example, like Portland or, you know, so SoCal Retro Gaming or MAGFest, like all these shows are, are, are like a hundred times, you know, bigger and better than what we can do in Hong Kong, unfortunately. Um, and, and, you know, the high rent here is, is not just making events like us hard to survive, but the whole retro gaming scene basically is, is, I would say it wouldn't survive uh, in the next 10 years, maybe just because of high, how high the rent is, you know, the, it, it doesn't yeah. make sense to, to open a retro game shop, for example, in Hong Kong, because you, you just can't make the rent back. And um, of course, during the pandemic, the rent, the, the rent went down a little bit, but it's still not enough to, to have, you know, a, a, a retro game shop survive. For example, like all these really good retro game shops in Hong Kong have either closed down or, or have downsized or or they have changed their business model to selling more than just retro games. You know, they they probably could make a, a little bit more selling, you know, toys or, you know, Gundam model kits, for example. And, and I mean, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's really sad to see uh, that you know, the reality in Hong Kong is, is basically dragging the whole retro game scene down. And, and whereas in Hong Kong, you know, most of our apartments are, are relatively smaller, much smaller than, than in North America, for example. And so collecting and, you know, archiving or just basically having space for a CRT TV, for example, uh, is, is close to impossible for a lot of us. So, yeah, so so you know what we we try to do as much as we can at least to have one big event every year so that at least we could you know educate the next generation you know if we do it in a university properly show them how you know for us it's retro gaming for them it, it's probably new gaming because they've never actually seen uh, you know a lot of them haven't even seen a CRT TV so um, yeah we just wanted to show them how it was played you know when when students are, are, are getting into game development or they're, they're really interested in, you know, history of, of video gaming, uh, I want them to, to actually understand how games were played, how it sounded, you know, how it looked. And, and so that is why it's so important for us uh, as a nonprofit uh, society to preserve these things. You know, it's not just preserving the games, but then, you know, the hardware and all these special, you know, input devices or controllers that come with it. And then uh, CRT TVs, you know, all all that. And, and of course, collecting the local um, game literature, you know, game magazines, monthlies, weeklies, bi-monthlies, bi-weeklies, uh, strategy guides. And, and so, yeah, you know, preserving a lot of not just, uh, you know, games that we've played, but how we play it, you know, how we understand the game when most of the games that we played are from Japan or from the U.S. And as someone that's from Hong Kong, we have um, a, a very unique way to call them. For example, we give nicknames to, to games that have uh, names that are harder to pronounce for locals. And, and, 
and sometimes we have a special way to play them. And, and so that's all part of the you know, history and culture that we're trying to preserve here. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of doing retro RGB is meeting people from all over the world who mm-hmm. experience the same things and, and have such similar stories to myself and my friends, but in a completely different way because of things mm-hmm. like, you know, it's an, a game written in English, but, you know, it's obviously Cantonese over there. So mm-hmm. uh, that's, you know, that's always kind of fascinating to me. And what you said about, is, yeah. you know, the, the cost of rent and everything. I grew up around New York City and then I lived in right in mm-hmm. Manhattan for five plus years. And it was, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, you know, I knew I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think anybody who's ever grown up around there does. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. no disrespect for people who grew up in the suburbs, but it just, you could hear people like us talk about what that's like, but you don't really get it unless you've lived yeah. in a place like Manhattan or like Hong Kong, where Hong Kong mm-hmm. felt much bigger to me. I've been there a few times. I loved it. My brother-in-law was born and <laughs> raised there. And it just, uh, it seemed, nice. um, it, it felt bigger, but I think, I think New York city might, might take up more, space yeah um you know if you're looking at a map yeah. but i feel like i don't know maybe it's just some more tall buildings in hong kong or something and uh definitely the, yeah, a similar I mean, vibe though i mean hong, hong kong and new york or, or or tokyo have many ways that are, are similar i would say um you know we we always go from building to building like like all these buildings are connected. A shopping mall is connected to the train station, and the train station is connected to our residential area. So, so uh, you know, when I first came back, I mean, even as someone that was born here, I I kind of had that culture shock because you you ended up being in this inside labyrinth, and and you can't really see what's outside, and and you have to you know when when someone tells you that hey, I, I know this retro game shop that's that's in Wan Chai or, or wherever, then you somehow never end up being outside, you know, th- I mean, the the buildings and finding it, but you have to be inside of a building. And then there's like 50 different buildings that are connected into one structure that that they give a name to. And sometimes it's not even officially on, on Google map. And yeah, and, 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 and that's kind of, actually, I, I, I visited a lot of these areas that I have never been to in Hong Kong because of gaming, because of finding, you know, retro game shops or, or old game shops. And another thing is I, yeah, I, I officially, uh, unofficially, I, I should say, <laughs> unofficially bring friends that I, you know, I met on online, for example. You know, I, I, I once met this guy from uh, a Shenmue Facebook group and, uh, yeah, and then he he was like, "Hey, I, I, are you from Hong Kong? Like, I, I'm I'm coming to Hong Kong next week for a business trip. I was wondering if I could just meet you and and maybe you could show me a few of the the, the locations that that appeared in Shenmue Two. I'm like, wow, like, yeah, I'd I'd love to do that. And so so that's kind of how I met a lot of these guys on on the Shenmue group just by bringing them to these unofficial you know Shenmue Two Hong Kong location tours. <laughs> so. And that's that's what another way for me to to actually know my own city too. Yeah, that's you know I same here when I moved to New York. Um, almost coincidentally, right away, I met somebody. I met the the whole Brooklyn crew who became good friends of mine, and because mm-hmm. of them, I I now learned about all of these spots that I would have never traveled to because it's you know mm-hmm. even though 
you're all in the city and it's all connected by by trains and subways you know it's it feels very far away sometimes you know you wouldn't mm-hmm. you wouldn't get yeah. in your well i mean maybe if you lived in the middle of nowhere but you know in a, in normal suburbs mm-hmm. you wouldn't get in your car and drive two hours just to check something out for a few moments then it's the yeah. same in the city you wouldn't hop on the subways and spend two hours each way to walk in and hope a store is is good so when yeah. your friends tell you like no you got to check this one out this is great and you know it's worth the journey mm-hmm. and it's kind of fun seeing yeah. that. That's, that's kind of what I do whenever I, I, I visit a new place. The first thing I ask about is, is there a, a retro game, you know, store or, or, or like a shopping center, a, a mini, you know, shopping arcade that has, you know, retro games. And then, yeah, second, second, maybe ask, you know, I, I ask about, you know, good food, of course, like everyone. But yeah, the first thing I actually ask about is always, a, a game shop because I, I really want to know what what they play you know for for example what what is retro for me might not be retro for them you know we grew up with a Famicom and then you know when I went to Kuwait I was actually quite surprised that they actually grew up uh, playing MSX which is you know something that I would never have guessed right because they actually have a um, yeah they, they actually have a factory over there that made like a you know local version of uh, MSX, and so a lot of the retro gamers actually grew up with uh, an MSX, and they actually had you know this this local version that had a Arabic kind of logo, which is super cool. Um, so yeah, Neo and, Geo and, and, had a small scene in Kuwait as well. I could be wrong about that, but I, I spoke to somebody out there. I've spoken to him a few times actually. He seems pretty mm-hmm. cool and was showing me their arcade machines and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I, I think well, they're, they're, they're a, definitely yeah big with Neo Geo because I actually uh, organized two two years of the Neo Geo World Tour, and that's what brought me to uh, Kuwait in the first place. And and there's a lot of great King of Fighters. And Garo Samurai Showdown players over there. So so yeah, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't be surprised if if they had like this this huge Neo Neo Geo scene going on. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get involved with the Neo Geo World Tour? Can we talk a little bit about that? Because that was something that uh, I think we may have even crossed paths in Portland a couple of years ago too. Because I walked by and checked out the booth over there. If you were traveling yeah, I, I, well, I think well that year I think it was uh, my partners that went to Portland. Because I think we were, well, at that time, I think we were involved not just with the New Jersey World Tour, but also with the CTWC. Because uh, I, I actually started the, the Hong Kong stop for the Classic Tetris World Championship. And uh, yeah, and, 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 and that's something else that we could talk about. But yeah, to answer your question, New Jersey World Tour was actually a, a, a surprise for, for, for all of us. I mean, I... Um, how it started was, uh, I think we did this really crazy, um, King of Fighters tournament in one of our retro.hk gaming expos. I, I, I remember it was, uh, 2017 and 18, like in like two years straight, uh, we did King of Fighters. And then I think it was 2017 that it kind of blew up, um, on, on social media. So we just let locals, uh, vote which King of Fighters they wanted to play at our Retro Cup, which is basically a, a retro game tournament that we hosted inside of Retro.HK Gaming Expo. Um, yeah, and that post just blew up. Like there were, normally we probably get like 50 to 100 likes on Facebook. 
um, maybe maybe three hundred if if it was something that you know everyone liked. But then that post got <clears throat> I, I remember four thousand something likes, and then it, it just went crazy, like a couple thousand shares, uh, and everyone was was you know uh, not arguing, but they basically discussing um, and replying to that post and saying, "Oh, it should be ninety seven and some guy would be like, oh, come on. Why wouldn't it be King of Fighters 98? Come on, guys. And and then another guy was like, oh, my God, that the list doesn't even have King of Fighters 94, which is the original. You know? And and it just it just blew up. And then uh, we had this huge discussion. And then people all got involved. And, and it was funny because even people that were from Taiwan or Malaysia or, or even Japan started to discuss about which King of Fighters should be played because we picked uh, – two of the two games that had the most votes for King of Fighters, uh, for, for the King of Fighters series, and then for the Street Fighter series. So that kind of blew up. And then um, right before our event, we I got this email from SNK, right? And being someone that's usually not too positive <laughs> on seeing things, I thought it was, I thought it was like a lawsuit or something. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was, um, yeah, I, I thought it was, you know, think about it. E- SNK would send you an email and then you'll be like, oh my God, like, are they, are they going to sue me? Because I'm, you know, I, I'm, because you I used the logo why, in your poster. Yeah, I, I used like their, yeah, yeah, I used, I used their, their game logo or their name, uh, their, their game's name, uh, in one of our tournaments. I mean, although it was free, right? So all our events are free. Uh, no one has to pay. There's no joining fee. We don't sell tickets, right? And we do it in a university, so it's it's all for education purposes. And but yeah, and at that time when I got the email, I was like, oh my god, like are they are they gonna sue me, right? And so I opened it, and I yeah, it was kind of surprising because it was actually an email saying like, oh, you, I, I think you guys did a, a good job, and there was so much. Uh, you know, there, there was so much attention in your post, and I think it it kind of revives the, the series because at the time it was, I wouldn't say it's 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 dead, but it's just the King of Fighters community is pretty fragmented, I would say, and that's exactly why there's so much discussion because a lot of players would have stopped at 98 and they would always play 98, and then some of them stopped at 2002, and then 2002 and 98 would also split up into the um versions for example right so so it, i i would i would describe the kof community as a very fragmented community because they don't have like one version something That's you know fair. for example yeah. if you you know if you compare to, to street fighter then you could always say that it's kind of fragmented too because some of them would have stopped that third strike and then they would always be turbo, playing third, thir- strike, third strike yeah yeah absolutely. turbo you know that two ssf 2t but then it's less fragmented in a way that it's not at least you know a different version every year, right? And then people that plays Third Strike would always give a chance to Street Fighter Five or when Street Fighter Six comes out, it would you know these guys would always give them a chance, right? But then King of Fighters is like when it turned three D, it just kind of split the whole. It, I, I would say the, the community basically shattered in a way in 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 terms of having you know groups of, of different games right so 
Yeah, and then no, you know, I, they... I never really thought of it until you just mentioned that. But you're right. I see, and mm-hmm. I see a lot of modern Street Fighter tournaments and retro mm-hmm. Street Fighter, but I can't yeah. remember if I've ever seen a modern KOF or, or even a more modern game. I think O2 is as new as I've seen. Yeah, that's well. That's kind of how we came in because that email was actually SNK showing support to our, you know, retro game expo and and retro cup and they were like you know why don't we sponsor you some gifts right and as a fan you know i I, i'm a huge snk fan as a fan i was like wow that's like a a, a dream come true right because it's it's well first of all they're not suing you (laughs) secondly they're actually giving you things to to give out you know in your tournaments and and uh yeah and and at the time snk still had a hong kong office uh, a couple of years ago, it, it, it closed down and they moved SNK Asia to Taiwan. But at the time, they actually sent uh, two of their Hong Kong staff and they came to, to even help out with our tournaments, with registration. And, and I guess it, it kind of gave them, gave them like a firsthand experience of how, how we, we worked, right? How we had everyone pre-register, how we did all the, the tournament brackets and how we live streamed the whole thing online. And so after we did that, they were actually quite happy. And so one of the, one of the, the, the upper management of, of SNK uh, told me that, you know, we're, we're actually pretty surprised that you guys are all, you know, amateurs and you're not like a full-time, you know, like production company or, or esports management company. And you were able to pull something like that, you know, out because we we were actually pretty crazy. We did a stream for three days straight, and oh, it was wow, nonstop. Really? Yeah, like That's like crazy. in two thousand, I think yeah, it was that year. Like we did like a, a three day nonstop stream, and it was kind of like a challenge to ourselves and and to my team, right? I said like, why don't we broadcast and and live stream what we what we're doing? you know, in Hong Kong, right? To the people in Hong Kong, but at night, on the same day, we're going to broadcast that whole thing again without stopping the stream to, to you know, to fans like you, to, to people that are overseas. And they just want to see, you know, how, you know, I, I mean, sometimes you would wonder, right? Like what, what a tournament in Hong Kong would be like for, for a game like King of Fighters. Like what is their level or, or even for Third Strike, right? Like people would be curious to know, you know, what, what, what kind of level are we dealing with, right, in, in Hong Kong? And so, yeah, we, we did this nonstop stream for three days, and I still remember one of our partners just just stayed in the university for, for three days straight, <laughs> like sitting there and, <laughs> and managing the stream. And, yeah. And, and yeah, so, so, what, so uh, after that. What hardware that, did yeah. you run all these tournaments on? Because that's something that's uh, certainly a big deal to a lot of us who work on mm-hmm. new hardware for old stuff. I know like uh, the Brooklyn Video Games, Brooklyn Arcade, when they do their tournaments, it's either mm-hmm. original hardware or it is a very strictly vetted Mr. Setup, vetted both by people yeah. with test tools and um, used before they were ever used in tournaments. They use them for practice runs for, for mm-hmm. a long time before used in tournaments just to make sure. Well, you know, zero latency, well, good accuracy. Well, we, 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 of course, that would be, you know, the best. The original hardware would be the best. But at the time, it's, it's pretty unfortunate that we're, you know, at the time, we're basically the only retro game expo. And until now, we still are, which means that 
fans or, or players don't actually have that many tournaments to, to, to practice on. And so, you know, I guess they care a bit less about the accuracy, but then more on the community and just meeting people. You know, a, a lot of them would just come here. Uh, I think, on, well, for example, on the, on 2000, in 2017, people were just happy to show up and see, wow, like 300 people signed up for King of Fighters 97. Like what the, what the heck, right? <laughs> like it's 2017 and, and people were just happy to find out that other people were still playing the game. So thinking about how we wanted to, you know, broadcast everything and have everything smooth. And then most of these players don't actually have original hardware. I mean, it's not like they, they all have, you know, an, a, a Neo Geo AES joystick that they could bring and play, right? So so we I think we we used pretty modern console setups at, at first. So we were using like PS3s, I think, as I remember. Like we were using like PS3 versions and of these games. And uh, I think for Third Strike, we tried PS3 and the Dreamcast version, for example, which which aren't like the best, I understand. No, but the but Dreamcast then I, version is solid. I think everybody in yeah. the community could agree that if you know if you can't get most people can't get original mm-hmm. Third Strike hardware, including most of the yeah. players. So the, yeah. I think everybody would agree that the Dreamcast version is a really good one to play. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I can understand the best is always you know the original hardware but then for our purpose at the time we I, I would describe it as at the time we were still very early in in in, in you know doing tournaments and, and, and streaming and I think for the sake of having everything smooth and having people be able to bring their joysticks for example for ps3 um, yeah so so we balanced these two things and then we we basically chose modern which is not the best but you know um, it works right and so yeah, yeah and, and so that's kind of how we got our our gig for for neo geo world tour we we sold basically you know the upper management said like write write us something like just write write a proposal to us like what do you think is a, a good you know tournament or, or or how we should do kof as an esports and and so we yeah and i i submitted I remember two or three different proposals of, of how, you know, I, I, I might have these connections and have some friends, you know, overseas that we might be able to have different, you know, overseas stops. And then we could bring all these winners from different stops to, to a place, you know, in Japan or, or, um, we, we finally did one in Hong Kong and one in Taiwan, for example. Uh, and then just, you know, have all these players fly over and it would be like the biggest King of Fighters tournament ever. Like, yeah. So that's kind of what we sold to 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 their team, and they were like, "Yeah, let's do it." And we're like, "Wow, <laughs> it's like a it's like a dream come true." And that's kind of how we started New Year World Tour. Yeah, that, that's pretty awesome. And uh, did you have it, connections it is, yeah. with Sega as well, or, or somebody that worked at Sega? Well, yeah. Um, I think you're you mean uh, the the COO, right? The 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 previous COO of Sega. Uh, well, I actually knew, I, I've heard about him. So his name is Calvin, Calvin Wu, um, who happens to have the same pronunciation as my you know, last name. Um, and I, I read an article about this guy and, and I thought, 
you know, wow, like, isn't it kind of surprising to have, you know, a Sega COO, but then he's actually, you know, someone from Hong Kong, you know, that, that somehow never some, you know, no one ever really mentions him. So one time um, he was doing a talk for, for uh, a newspaper in, in, in Hong Kong. He was doing a talk that wasn't even about gaming. It was about investment or something like that. But I was sure that was him, right? So I I went to the talk. I, I listened to his speech, of course. And then when he came down on stage, I I just went and basically just stopped him. I was like, like, wow, like I've heard so much about you, Mr. Wu. Like, can I can I just, you know, shake your hand and and you know talk to That's you awesome. a, a little bit? Yeah, and, and, and he was surprised, actually. You know, when I told him, like, yeah, I heard you're, you're like the COO of, of, of Sega at the time when Dreamcast came out. And he was like, wow, like you, you know, not not a lot of people uh, know about that. And I'm actually quite surprised that that you did your research before, you know, coming to to talk to me. And I'm like, yeah, like, I, you know, I'm just so fascinated about having someone from Hong Kong being, you know, uh, the COO at the time, and and yeah, and and that's kind of how I met him, and then we became friends. Like we went out for coffee, we went out for for a few dinners, and I just started to 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 ask him about things like what happened to Dreamcast, like 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 everyone, you know, all 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 the <laughs> that fans must have are been a dream come true <laughs> conversation right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and 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 it was great because he wasn't really. Um, you know, he doesn't need to hide anything when we met, right? Because it was just all, it was past all, all, all the time. Uh, if he had any agreement with, with Sega, it, it, it already passed. And he's, he's such a kind person. He's, he's energetic, he's kind, and he, he ended up sponsoring our first uh, Retro Dice Gaming Expo. That's kind of how oh, we wow, that's had... awesome. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how... I would always mention him as, you know, the guy that made our first expo happen, you know, and, and even until now, I'm still very thankful because he was the one that, you know, brought Terry and, and Dan to Hong Kong. He, his company paid for everything. And, oh, wow. and he That's, gave me, so cool. he, yeah. And he gave me the venue for the first event. So at the time he was involved with, uh, uh, a company called HMV. I don't know if you've. You, uh, there were HMVs in in the states, right? I, I remember. I can't so remember. H, I'm sorry. So H, HMV is basically like Tower Records. So, oh so it's, yeah, I can't remember going to any of those. We had uh, yeah. in my neighborhood. It was Fye and Tower Records mm. and um, yeah. Virgin Megastore was the big one in New York City. Yeah. So so he kind of became a a little bit of a celebrity because HMV is kind of like a, a nostalgia, nostalgia for all of us at, at this age, because, you know, in high school we would go to HMV and, and, and buy CDs and they had movies and it's basically the first place where they would actually let you listen to, to some of the CDs before you buy them. Right. So HMV was, um, you know, a brand that, that, that everyone knew. And at the time it was going bankrupt. And so he became the guy that saved HMV, saved the HMV brand. And, and, 
Yeah, and then he, you know, when he decided to to sponsor our event, our first event was actually in the HMV flagship store in Hong Kong, which was like super cool because you know, he was awesome. just like, yeah, just yeah, like just use our flagship store in Central, which is, you know, if you had to rent a place in Central, it would be something like a million or two million dollars, uh, Hong Kong dollars. Um, so he just let us use their shop, and he's like, "Yeah, just clear out some of the shelves, and you could you could have this area as the tournament area, and then you know you could clear out this area. You could have all the shelves and display your consoles, and you know the prototype could be in the middle. And I mean, yeah, I mean, e- even now when I talk about it, I, I still have the you know have the chills because it's it's just so crazy how." He was actually the one that kind of made it happen for us for the first year. I, when I first decided to to send out emails, right? I was I was thinking, okay, so I need to host a retro game expo in Hong Kong. I need sponsors, obviously. <laughs> so at the time, I was involved in in the media business, so I I knew some people that might be interested in retro games. He was one of them. So I sent out, I think, like ten emails on the first batch, just to people that I thought would be interested in sponsoring or supporting. I mean, even supporting in, in, in any way, a venue, right. Or, or just pay for, you know, Dan and Terry to fly over. Right. And then he was actually the first one that replied to me. Like he was, he, he replied within 15 minutes. Oh, like that is one so cool. short, yeah. One short sentence from, you know, one of the guys that I think is, probably the one of the busiest men in, in Hong Kong, right? So he just replied, no problem, I'll fully support it. Just let me know what you need. It's done. That's, that that's so nice how, of him. What a good person. Yeah, that's that that's how really we cool. got our that's how we got our first gig. And uh yeah, and then and then it was just really great from from that year on because we met a lot of our core members. We we you know, I'm, I met Morris, uh, who is a core member now, and I, I met Reese, for example. Reese is one of the prof, uh, assistant professors in one of the universities, and that's kind of how we we got moved over to the university on the second year. And, um, yeah, like a lot of great people in, in the scene in Hong Kong. You had mentioned something before that I it always interested me. You had said there were nicknames for certain games in Hong Kong. Um, yes. Do you remember off your head, top of your head a couple of those? Because I always love stories like that. Sure. And, and those names don't make sense. They sometimes just sound like the, the name of the game. Is I mean, let me let me make, uh, I, I would call this the universal example, right? So how Ryu in Street Fighter says Hadouken, right? Like we would have our version, like e- every country, every city might have their own version. Like, I know in the States, they call it Hadouken, right? Like, because that's what you hear. And yep, exactly. At the time, at the time when Street Fighter came out, unless you knew Japanese, like we would just keep repeating what we hear, right? So in, in Cantonese, for example, we would, we, we would hear Apoket, you know, something like Apoket. Like Shoryuken would be something like all you get, almost sounding like all like a l l and then y o u and then g e t like all you get so so that's just one example of how because of the limit of the hardware of of how i wouldn't say the recording was bad it's it's just you know how it came out you know 
on the chip or on, on I, I on think the that's got to be universal. I think everybody around the planet probably said those words differently and they just mimicked yeah. what they thought they heard in the game. So exactly. That's funny. So, I know so I didn't get it right for a couple of years. No one got it right. I'm, I'm pretty sure even in Japan, <laughs> they kind of made fun of how it sounded, right? Because it just sounded yeah. so, so different, right? For example, the hurricane kick, no one could pronounce it right because it was just so long and 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 so fast right so that's just how i would use that as an example because it's it's hadoken for sure officially but then in the states you would hear it as something else and in hong kong we would hear it as something else and I, i'm pretty sure like in in europe or in the middle east or or wherever they would have a different version right so so another so so having that said um for example games like resident evil right so in hong kong we mostly follow for example biohazard right at the, the japanese name so so the japanese name of of that game is biohazard and then when they you know ported it to the to, to the us they kind of changed it into to resident evil right so so in hong kong for example some people would call it something that sounds like biohazard but then they can't really pronounce it Right, or or maybe they just wanted kind of like a shorter version, so they would say something in Cantonese like "bao hasek," right? So so three three sounds. Like in in Cantonese, that sounds like something like you're gonna. How should I translate this? Like this game, well, not this game, but it just sounds these three words. If you just lit, said it literally, it means like you're gonna become a beggar or something. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Right, something like that. So, so it's it's the act of begging, and then people just because in game stores, for example, right. So, think about if you're the shopkeeper in the game store, and then Resident Evil Two came out, and it sold like hotcakes, right? And then people would line up, and you'll have to say the name of that game, Biohazard Two, Biohazard Two, Biohazard Two, like for for five hundred times <laughs> on launch date, right? And then it so so they kind of you know made this shorter version or almost like this Cantonese sounding version where they would say Bahasek, which is you're going to become a beggar or you're going to be begging. <laughs> and it, it and it doesn't even make sense. As I said, it doesn't have anything to do with the game. It just sounded like Biohazard. And, and I still know until this day, like some people would still call like Resident Evil 8 or, or Biohazard 8 like and then like the eighth version of of Bauhasik. That's like a very local, um, I wouldn't call it a meme, but then like a local nickname for 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 a universally known game. Yeah, that that makes sense. That that's universal. I mean, it's you know, it, I think if you mentioned that to anybody around your age that grew up in Hong Kong, they would know exactly mm. what you were talking about. But it's also yeah. <laughs> things like if you have a restaurant that your whole family loved that's down the street yeah. from where you grew up, if it changed mm -hmm. names 10 times, you're still going to refer to it as whatever the name was when you ate exactly. growing up, you know? So it's exactly. just one of those things that sticks with you. I, I think it's it's because if you I mean if you really go to a, a local game store and you pronounce it like really well. Like for example, I want biohazard, right? Like I want a copy of biohazard. Like if you if you really pronounce it that way, there is actually a chance that he wouldn't understand. <laughs> you know, he he wouldn't understand what you're talking about. And then if you use the, the, the Cantonese 
nickname, which is Bahasek. Then they were like, oh, okay, okay, I know that. <laughs> I know which game you want, you know. And and yeah, yeah things, we, things like we've that. We've universally I mean, gotten so much wrong because I think in the States, most people called Ryu Ryu. And I didn't even yeah. think I knew until I was an adult that I was saying it wrong. I think I said that wrong for at least 10, 15 years. Which, which <laughs> is fine. Good. I mean, people would still pronounce it Ryu or Ryu. Or, I mean, they, it, it's kind of universally accepted almost, I would say. Yeah, and Well, for, for, for that topic, right, we usually call Ryu by the, the kanji. So, so, of course, Ryu in Japanese is Ryu. But then the kanji sounds like a uh, dragon for, for Cantonese. So we would actually call Ryu by the kanji name, but then read in Cantonese, which is along, long, long is dragon, right? Oh, neat. Yeah, so, you know, these, these things like that. When I mean, whenever people ask me about, you know, for example, game preservation in Hong Kong, like why would you need to preserve games when Hong Kong wasn't too big in making games. You're not actually preserving that much games that are made by Hong Kong companies or Hong Kong people. Like you're preserving games that are made in Japan or in, in the US, right? And you're preserving these strategy guys that are not for games that are made from Hong Kong people. So why would why would you do that? And and that's exactly why we're doing it. Because if we preserve the video games, then you would see all these nicknames, like the, the biohazard nickname or or, or all these Hadouken, Hadouken, or, or Apoket uh, words written on, on the magazines. And that's part of our Cantonese culture. You know, and, and all of that yeah, is, is, you know, is gone. The preservation, access, uh, the preservation aspect is so important, and I'm so glad that you're mm-hmm. taking the time to do it because it is, it is so easy to just glance over this and say, like, oh, well, you know, who, who cares about video games from back then? The newer ones are flashier mm-hmm. and better, and, you know, everybody's going to know that. But mm-hmm. you could never yeah. really understand – you could never really understand today in the future unless you understand the history behind it. So some of these exactly. things, some of the things – Exactly. It just – you know, I, I love that the world is slowly becoming a smaller place and we could do something like have a conversation on the opposite sides of the planet. But yeah, understanding super cool. and embracing <laughs> the differences is is so awesome, and I love it so much, and I don't want any of that – to be lost it's it's also why i get so so frustrated and so angry when i see mm-hmm. some of these junky cash grab plug this into mm-hmm. your super nintendo and put it into your hd tv adapters because that's not how the <laughs> games look that's not how yeah. they sound that's not how they play it's, i mean you know that's it's that's important a, to understand that's, that that's a whole i mean that's that's on its own that's a whole different topic already because that's like saying mp3s are better than cds and then spotify is better than you know downloading mp3s right i mean yes it's the same song it, it's it's the same singer it's the same song but then how it's listened and and i, I think people don't I, I think they care less about the process now they want the result right the, the result is something like spotify which i can get you know the, yeah. the song that I've been thinking for the whole day immediately just mm-hmm. by typing two letters, then it, it knows what, what what songs I'm looking for. But then the, the yes. whole process of, of, for example, choosing music when, when we just mentioned HMV, for example, like how do you actually find music? How do you explore music um, is like the empty spaces between paintings in the gallery, right? You're not going to a gallery and then, 
you know, by quantity, I, I tell people like, oh, I saw a thousand paintings because it's all on one wall. And then, you know, I, I win because I, I saw 1000 paintings today. Right. And then people care about the results, especially I think in Hong Kong, uh, people care much more about the results and how it looks on social media. But then if you think about how we choose music, how we how you go to a proper gallery, there's one painting and then there's some empty space in between gives you you know at least 30 seconds to, to kind of just take in what you just saw and then get you prepared for the next painting. That kind of idea is crazy for the, the some some people for uh, in Hong Kong or, or it's even, you know, some, some newer generations thinks that that's crazy because I want the result, right? I want to find that song and, and they'd care much less about the exploration of finding that song, you know, vinyl, CDs. So I agree and, with you know. everything you just said. Um, and mm-hmm. the debate that, uh, that I always get into with friends is, you know, when I was a kid, I missed out on so much music of the time because you just, Mm -hmm. I only had what was on the radio or what I could afford to buy or what uh, somebody that I would trust could copy me a tape. Whereas Mm -hmm. now I have whatever I want. Somebody recommends a song. I just press a button on my phone and it's there, but do you Mm -hmm. appreciate it as much? Do you really take the time to listen to those B sides? So that's all a good conversation. But the one piece that's different is, yeah, listening to music is like watching somebody play sports or watching somebody Mm -hmm. play video games, but playing Mm -hmm. that video game is an interaction. So that's the biggest difference. I could play a song on my phone and put it on a table and Mm -hmm. you might get a good enough experience to understand Mm -hmm. that you like that song. There's a very good chance. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. if I give you a, the worst way to play it, some junky, you know, scaler with a hyperkin chip in it plugged into a laggy Uh, tv that's not in game mode mm -hmm. that is that completely destroys the experience just like yeah and 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 i think that's out of tune to play and 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 i think it's unfortunate that some newer players that's trying to get back into the the old retro stuff right um they would start with the wrong hardware and then they would be like this looks like crap and i think i'm done i'm gonna go back to my whatever, like Xbox Series X or PlayStation 5. And I think one one of the things that I always have to clarify is that I'm not against new games. Like people misunderstand that. People will be like, oh, you're in retro games, then you don't, do you, do you have a PS4 at home? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, yes, same. I have a people PS4. People just assume that I hate yeah. all new games because I like old Yeah, like, I mean, I, 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 yeah, exactly. Like I have a PS4, I have a PS5 and I love new games. I, I, I spend a lot of time on my Switch, you know. I I love Breath of the Wild. I I love Death Stranding, for example, and I finished it. And I mean, is that enough proof that I'm actually not just a, a retro gamer, you know? But I think I think what yeah, what I try what, what I'm trying to to say is that for us to preserve these things is actually preserving the opportunity for a lot of these new players to get into retro gaming. The the first impression that they get is actually the impression or the feeling or, or what it sounds and looks how we played it in our childhood or how it how when it came out right so so i was talking to a professor in 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 another university in hong kong and and he brought his whole class over to one of our events right and and uh we we had this conversation saying you know this is like the the, the greatest thing that has happened to me in my class because I was actually trying to tell these guys how great 
a game like Final Fantasy VII was, right? How it sold a gajillion copies and and how how great it was on CRT, and, which he calls a TV, right? Because at the time it was a TV. Like we we call the TV a TV, and now we call a CRT TV a CRT TV, right? And 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 one of the students was like, "Can you show it to us in class?" And he's like, "Well, there's no." good way to show it to you and you know uh, i mean a youtube link doesn't count but if you really want to see it then sure and so he showed it on on you know on youtube on on the projector and then the students were like that's that's not impressive and and that brings back to what you said because it's an interaction right it's a it's a feeling it's you know you're supposed to not just fast forward it and not and just watch someone play you know it's just like a let's play right and and there, and, and there is the, no good way to experience a CRT unless you're sitting in front of it. And one of my favorite exactly. things that's happened recently, a friend of mine brought her nine-year-old kid over, and he'd never mm-hmm. even seen a CRT. And I said, hey, you want yeah. to play a fun old shooting game? I was going to put Duck Hunt in front of him. And mm-hmm. I powered on the TV, and he jumped back. Uh, is it supposed to sound like that? Is it okay? <laughs> yeah. I was laughing so hard. Like, kid, that's what we grew up with. That happened yeah. every time you powered the damn thing on. You're fine. Sit down. No, it's it's. I, th- I think the secret, right? The secret of, of of CRT TVs of how when you turn it on in, in in an event or if you turn it on at an exhibition, like people would be like, ooh, and then they just go and get attracted to it because it's basically a huge light bulb, right? It's like a, it's like a giant light bulb, basically in the room. It, it, it basically lights up the room almost. And, um, you know, it's bright, it's, it's attractive. And then it's not like these flat, you know, panel TVs where there's actually no space for, for the audio to be made. And whereas CRT TVs is basically like a natural boom box in a way. Right. And so, yeah, I was kind of laughing. I'm not sure if, if this will be cut off on camera, but there's a widescreen silver CRT behind me. And every nice. Sunday I, I was going to ask you, is that a virtual background or <laughs> no, no, Yo, this, that's is a, real. this is my actual a, family room slash office. That, that's a uh, nice the, collection. Just a room tour. I'll send it to you if you're interested. Wow. But every Sunday I pull the projector down and I have mm-hmm. uh, four football games in the middle and I have a plasma TV on one side and I have that. Uh, widescreen silver TV on the other. And the the one thing that everybody has noticed, hands down, is that why is mm. the audio so good out of that yeah, TV? It's right. just basic speakers, but they're yeah. actual real depth speakers, not these paper exactly. ones. And exactly. everybody is shocked at how clear it is because that's only running at yes. 480p, but it, the, yeah. there's no motion blur, obviously. And it's it's just mm-hmm. one of those things where like if you tell somebody – here is an, uh, a very good LCD panel, and here is a very mm-hmm. good CRT. Mm-hmm. Everybody can see the difference, especially when oh, yeah. playing video games. And no one's, oh, yeah. no human is going to look at it and go, well, yes, the CRT is drawn by a beam of light, and I could see each light. Like, that's impossible. <laughs> it's too fast. Yeah. But you'll abs- people that don't care at all about displays could absolutely know that there's a difference and feel a difference on it. Yeah, and I, and, and I, I, I kind of... Be important. Uh, in the future because mm-hmm. even with your you know with your expo and stuff what i've started mm-hmm. to see a small shift in that a lot more younger people are coming into this 
And oh, it's yeah. less about nostalgia and more about exactly the way when I was a little kid and I mm-hmm. walked up to a car that was made 20 years before I was born and went, oh, this is amazing. I love this. This yeah. is, you know, I, this is for me right here. And a lot yeah. of kids are doing that with video games, especially with things like reaction time, fighting games, mm-hmm. some of the older style 2D platformers. You know, it's mm-hmm. we're starting to get a younger generation and, and being able to experience oh, yeah. it in a good way like, is very important. I, I, I think I think what, what is funny is that you and I, like people like us, we're, we're naturally becoming almost like a spokesperson for CRT TVs, right? And, and, and it's funny because every time, you know, I, I introduce, you know, proper retro gaming to a, to a younger person, right? Um, I, I part-time lecture competitive gaming uh, history, for example, and I, I, I tell these students, I'm like, you know, when every time someone tells me that they're buying a gaming monitor with whatever number of lag, then, you know, I, I, I look at my CRT TV and I tell them there's basically no lag. Like, we've never heard of lags. And that's why, you know, you know guys like uh, Joseph or, or these, these really good Tetris players, they get into classic Tetris and they're using, you know, CRTs because, you know, it's as fast as you can get. And, and it sounds great. It looks great. And, I mean, I can't argue that it would look better on on newer games, right? Of course, newer games are designed in a way that it should be on LCD or an OLED. But then if you're going to be, you know, buying a stupid, you know, adapter or, or converter and then playing Super Famicom or Super Nintendo on a modern TV, then you're basically wasting money, right? Because it, it looks bad and then you're like, wow, I, I'm never going to get into retro gaming again because it... It, it it sucks, and, yeah, and so that's why I, the I wrong mm-hmm. adapter. Yes, if you mm-hmm. buy the right uh, the right converter, then it's actually a pretty wonderful experience. And yes, well, I mean, so, year, okay, so but. something like FPGA, for example, is again an, a whole new topic. But then that's let's say closer to what I would say is a full experience, right? But then if it's just an adapter or a converter that converts the RCA signal into HDMI, it's I mean, you're gonna expect crap. Right, because there's You're no right, scan because line, the majority right? of the stuff out there is crap. Mm-hmm. But there's you yeah. know the RetroTINK products that are amazing that can yes. take any signal. I mean, yes. RGB into a yes. RetroTINK 5X is is uh, you know yeah, and like so Nola you know TV we is real close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So we you know we need to tell people how to properly get into that. And I think as someone that is always talking about history and retro games and game preservation, I, I feel like there is a mission for me to properly introduce it to, to a younger generation. And so, you know, for example, just modding a, a, a Super Famicom into, you know, HDMI or, or that, that doesn't work. I mean, just don't waste your money, right? And that's kind of how I, I met, yeah, through our events, we actually met a lot of these younger players. And, and as you said, they're amazed how it looks, how it sounds, how it plays, um, how, well, even how light some of the, the smaller CRT TVs are because they all, you know, they, they think that any size CRT TVs are, are, are basically like, you know, 50 bricks, but then it's not, right? A, a lot of smaller ones, for example, 14 inches uh, are, are pretty uh, popular in Hong Kong just because of how, you know, our, our apartments yeah. are smaller. 
right? So it's easier, easier to, 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 to manage, you're, right? You're right to about have... that, but I'm used to lifting ones that are that size. So when, <laughs> yeah. you, know, when you said some subsidiary <laughs> teas are lighter than you expected, it's like, come over to my house. Yeah. We'll see how light oh, okay. <laughs> no, of course. I, I know like the bigger ones, of course, but then let's just say for, for our events, um, unfortunately, a lot of our bigger ones are, are broken because of how just naturally how uh, humid Hong Kong is, right? And, uh, I would say at least a fourth of them are broken every time we do a, a bigger event, unfortunately, just by moving it. Or, or sometimes it's, yeah. it's been in our storage for, for a couple of months since our last event, and then we, we bring it out and they're broken, you know, things like that. And, and it's kind of, and it's sad because a lot of them are not not fixable. Like there's just no parts. And, and sometimes it's just something that's really like, like something that's really stupid, like like a broken switch, but then you can't really fix that because you can't turn on the TV or maybe like a crack right next to the power switch where you just can't turn it on and, and things like that. And then we have to recycle it. So every time, you know, we, we go out, we come back to the storage, a fourth or a fifth of them are broken. So just two weeks ago, we did uh, uh, an event in, in uh, the the Hang Seng University of Hong Kong and uh, 10 of them were broken. We moved 50 to the, the venue and then 10 of them are broken. So, and, and it's, and it's getting much harder to get CRTs now. It's not like in the U S where it's still pretty easy to find. You know, if you go to a Salvation Army or sometimes if you're lucky, you can even find a really nice one, you know, just, next to the street Free on, a on dumpster the side of the road or, yeah yeah on the yeah. side of the road and that doesn't happen anymore in hong kong i think i think uh well we are guilty of being the one that kind of pushed retro gaming and so we're basically the ones that are contributing to the high prices right because people want to find them and and and, and i admit that we're guilty but then there's you know not nothing we can do um, yeah, I'd rather do that than hide it for myself and never share that with anybody else. Like, I'd rather exactly. just tell people and hope that we could save a whole bunch of these. Exactly, because because I mean, at, at our age, I think uh, collecting, of course, makes sense. But it makes it, for me, it makes less and less sense that we're just collecting and we're not playing them. I don't know if you un you understand what I mean, no, but uh, yeah, no, I, right? I agree too. It's but I yeah. have an appreciation for both because I am yeah, I have I, have I that use too, the but... stuff that I have, but I have a couple mm -hmm. of things that I just like knowing that I own that I don't even use. Oh, of course, and it's not I don't have a wall of games like that. I have a handful mm -hmm. of things like the X Files PC game. I'll never play that again, but I love knowing that I have the complete inbox from when I was a wow. kid that I bought with my own money. Like mm -hmm. I love that, but I'll never play that game. No, again. I, I it mean, wasn't even that good don't, of a game. don't, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not against collecting. It's just that I think what we're trying to do is to, to share, you know, the culture and the history of video games and, and trying to preserve them. Whereas collecting is, is almost like a competition, right? And then, Game preservation is Agreed. something that we all have to come together, right? Because competition is, I mean, collecting is all about competition. It's all about how my copy of Contra is newer than yours. And then, you know, I have a straighter box and you don't. And, and, and then it's fun at first, but then the more you think about it, especially when, you know, now I'm residing in Hong Kong, it makes less and less sense because the collecting doesn't even happen at home because the whole, you know, our, our apartments are 
relatively smaller than than houses in the states, for example. And so it it makes less and less sense to be collecting because you're just gonna have maybe a corner or a small room piled with games that you can't really access to, and it's like piles of games behind another pile of game, and and some people even rent like mini public storages to store these things and i would describe them as you know just going there in the weekends and really just smelling them because there's no equipment over there for you to <laughs> to actually play them right i mean it, yeah. it, it's it sounds mean but what i really mean is that i think at at a certain time especially for myself right i'm just talking about uh, i'm just talking for myself I, I feel like it's time to it's still time to collect but then more about sharing what I have and 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 sharing the collection and letting people you you know like young younger people and the next generation of of people or, or gamers that are trying to get into these games or trying to even do you know game development for example for them to to experience all these you properly experience these old games. So um, I have a stupid question for you. So the television signals in Hong Go Kong, ahead. <laughs> is that PAL 50 or is that NTSC 60? I, I totally, I always forget to ask my brother-in-law when I talk. Okay, so so Hong Kong is, is pretty unique because, uh, you know, we used to be a British colony. So it's PAL in the past. And so it's... It's also that I have to mention because Hong Kong is actually the only place in the whole planet that I know of that has an official release for the NES and an official release for the Famicom, which is crazy. Oh, right? that's because funny. It, yeah, because in, in, in Japan, they get Famicom, right? In the US and in Europe, you get the NES, right? But then Hong Kong is weird. Like we had two companies that separately brought the NES and the Famicom, and they both have the official version in Hong Kong, and and it's kind of became a collector's item because it's actually NES, but but it says Hong Kong version, and then the Famicom actually also has a plate in the front that says Hong Kong version, so we actually get the Hong Kong official version for NES and the Famicom, and they're both. I didn't know that. That's really neat. Yeah. And is it they run at fifty hertz? Yeah. They're both PAL. I think I think the Famicom most well most of the Famicoms that we get are NTSC in in you know later versions. But then yeah, like Hong Kong is weird. Like we get like all kinds of different hardware and we get all kinds of different parallel imports uh, for games. And and I mean if uh, one example I always use is that. For example, when Breath of the Wild came out, for example, like if you walk into Best Buy, how many versions do you get in the States? Uh, one or maybe a collector's edition, but it's the same Exactly, game, right? Exactly. And then if you go to Japan, it's the same thing. You get like one normal version and probably like a collector's limited edition, but then it would be the Japanese version. When Breath of the Wild came out in Hong Kong, right, which, which, which was actually pretty shocking for me it was kind of like this moment of realization um i went into this small game store that's the size of a phone booth i I would i would describe it as the size of a phone booth and they had seven versions of breath of the wild when it came out and they're all the different versions was it you know north american japanese exactly north american 
Japanese, and then they even had the Australian version. I remember it had a different cover, and they're all legal, like imported versions. They're not like bootlegs or anything, right? And and it was just crazy because there there were actually seven versions for you to choose from. Um, so if you're a big, you know, version collector, for example, or if you just wanted, you know, an option because some of the parallel imports are actually cheaper, right? And for Breath of the Wild, I remember the the official Hong Kong version came out a bit later. So when that launched, we even get like a Hong Kong, you know, official traditional Chinese version. So you, as a customer, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, you get to choose from all these different versions. You have the option to buy all of them if you're a, if you're a collector, right? And yeah, and, and by the way, Hong Kong doesn't have taxes, and and Hong Kong is probably the place with the cheapest games, like originals. Like we don't have taxes. Oh, really? We don't have sales tax. Yeah, like so. I mean, on on I average, was only I would twice and not enough to remember that stuff. So yeah, we we don't have taxes. Like just ask any any people in, that that have lived in Hong Kong for long enough. They'd be like, what 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 sales tax? Like we don't have that. Yeah, we don't have sales tax. And and yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing to be a gamer here because you just have so many options and. And uh, for example, for Switch games, on average, they're they're, I would say, ten to twenty percent cheaper than most places that I know. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. That's a good really? advantage. Yeah. So yeah, Hong Kong. So Hong Kong has its unique. Uh, coming yeah. up in the f- oh, sorry, sorry, we just did the delay thing again. We made it the whole. Po- we made it over an hour <laughs> without the delay hitting us. So uh, it happens every no, time. No, no, but, no, please. no, no uh, problem. Just gonna no say, problem. what do you have coming up next? What other events? What other things are you working on? Um, obviously, you just finished the last expo, but you have the twenty twenty three one next year. Well, we're, of course, we're trying to uh, again, you know, secure a venue for for next year. So uh, I hope that we can return to the same university, uh, you know, to, to host the event because uh, they had an, an amazing team of student volunteers and, and staff. And it was a, a really great experience working with them. Their, their principal came over to play Street Fighter 2 with us. And <laughs> that's pretty amazing because that's not what a principal in Hong Kong would do like the headmaster of a university. They usually don't do that, but he was very kind and he was uh, serious enough to come over two days before you know the where he has to play Street Fighter to to come and practice and ask about what what button does what. So he came over and did some training before he went on stage and and challenged some of the the students there. So that was pretty cool. Um, That's neat. Yeah, I like so, that. So I'd love to, to work with them again. Uh, we probably have another uh, a small exhibition with them in Q1 next year. And uh, they've invited me for another talk with uh, their, I think I think it will be in their library, talking about uh, game preservation and, and what we should do uh, in Hong Kong, as I think we're pretty late in the game. You know, because you know in the States, there's, you know, the... Video Game History Foundation, and and in Japan, there's the Game Preservation Society, and I've met Joseph. He's super inspiring. Uh, I've learned a lot from him. Um, so yeah, and, and and you know, after learning all of that, I, that's what I'm trying to to do in Hong Kong to to preserve some of the local literatures and games that we've developed as a city. Um, 
yeah, and and just keep doing it. You know, that's awesome. Glad to hear it. Um, so yeah. where can people find you? Are you mostly on any specific social media site, or just check out the website that you have? Yes. So so our our website is retro.hk. So it's the basically the name of our society. Uh, we're we're more active on Facebook. Um, I know Facebook might not be the most popular, you know, platform of choice uh, in the states, for example. But most of our followers, I guess, at a at, at an older age, right, <laughs> were were more used to Facebook in Hong Kong. So uh, we have around, I think, close to ten thousand followers on Facebook. So we're most active on on Facebook. Uh, we do have Twitter and we do have Instagram, but we're less active and we have less followers because those started much later. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, feel, feel free to, I mean, if any of you, right, are, are coming over to Hong Kong if, and, and if you need a Shenmue tour, let me know. I, I'm glad to do it. <laughs> I love, I love going to, to the Shenmue trail that I, I, you know, kind of designed for, for, you know, Shenmue friends coming over to Hong Kong and, and I, I always offer that, like, I mean, if you ever need anything from Hong Kong, because, because you know, collecting games and retro gaming are all about community. So, you know, if you ever need anything, like a specific ver- version of things that, that is easier to find in Hong Kong, you know, just let me know. Like that, yeah, I, I, I mean, I open it up to, to your followers and audience too. Like if you ever need anything to, to find anything in Hong Kong, let, give me the challenge and let me try to find it for you. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for your time. This was a very great chat. And hopefully we could follow up at some point, maybe even uh, right before the next uh, expo to help spread the word for you. Sure, man. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Thank you.